by March, 45% of the U.S. workforce was working remotely. That's the biggest transition in work since the Industrial Revolution. But that took 80 years, and we did that in March. So there's been all of these huge impacts. And the big issue is that no one's actually recognized you should actually manage people differently when they work remotely. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Build Your Network podcast, the only top-rated show committed to helping you grow your business, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Let's get into the show. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm excited to sit down with Liam Martin. Liam is the co-founder of Time Doctor and a co-organizer of the world's largest remote work conference, Running Remote. Now he's co-authored a book coming out really soon focused on remote work methodology called Running Remote. So we're going to have a great conversation today, guys, about working remote as well. But I also want to dive into a couple of the things that they've learned through running a a massive uh, conference and event around these types of things as well. So uh, Liam, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Travis. I am doing fantastic. I'm currently in Lisbon. Actually, just completed our conference, man, about two weeks ago. And I said, let's get the heck out of here. So I'm in Lisbon out, for uh, another two weeks. Good for you. Good for you, man. Putting on conferences is like a massive burst of energy. So like, when, as soon as you're done, it's a really good time to be like, you know what? I think I'm going to take a chill pill for a second here. You know, about 48 hours after... The conference was over. I had so much cortisol running through my system that I just collapsed completely. <laughs> and this happens every single year where... And it's, it's very interesting for me because my other companies are more SaaS businesses. Time Doctors, a time tracking tool for remote workers. Uh, we run staff.com too. And that's an interesting way to be able to run a business because for the SaaS product, you can try something and then you fail at it. You try something and you fail at it, right? You can like do this really interesting iterative process. But with a conference, it's like, so put $250,000 down on a venue. Yeah. I, you know, $100,000 with an ABM food. And eight months cross later, something's got to happen, right? <laughs> yeah, you cross your fingers. Yeah, it's exactly. like, as I told people, the die must be cast at least eight months before the actual event happens. Yeah. And you've got to be all in and just commit. So it's a really interesting way to be able to run a business. And to be honest with you, it's probably a little bit more stress than I'm used to or would want in my life. But yeah, totally, man. I totally get it. I, whenever we do live events, you know, people will be like, oh, you're, are you here doing a live event? Is, you know, how many people are going to be there? And it's like, well, I know that I'm going to be there. So <laughs> like, I'm hoping people are going to show up. But uh, I, I know one thing's for sure. It's, there's a venue and I will be there. So... I'd love to see you. I you have know. a I had a ready fire aim philosophy back in 2018 when we started this, which was I booked a venue and I said I booked a venue and I paid for it, or at least put the down payment on it. So I said yeah. this must occur. So in nine months, I'm either going to lose a hundred grand exactly. or we're going to run a successful event. And that type of ready fire aim mentality actually allows for you to. I mean, it's it's Pareto principle 101, which is the size of a task expands into the time that you have to complete it. That's a component of the Pareto principle. So if you actually just commit and say like, I probably could run another event in 90 days if I really wanted to. Like if you held a gun to my head and said, in 90 days, I've got to have a thousand people in Lisbon that are interested in remote work. I try versus a year, probably I'd get maybe, you know, a thousand people in 90 days and maybe 1200 people in a year. If you get what I understand, like sure. the, yeah, the, yeah. the actual process of, of going after that 
is um, a lot less complicated than people think, but it just requires a, a huge amount of grind. So uh, on this note, I mean, we're talking about events, so let's keep talking about that because I had a couple questions for you on sure. this anyway. I'm a big fan of live events. I like to put on my own. I like to go to them. I think that they're amazing for a number of different ways. But I like to hear from your, uh, from your perspective because we kind of have a little bit of things in common where we, we're running separate businesses, right? Like I have a, a, a SaaS company and an agency and stuff like that. But I also like to do some events. And then you're running multiple SaaS products. You have different companies, but you're still putting on this massive event that would, you just admitted to is probably the biggest stressor for you throughout the entire year. And if I had to guess, probably like in terms of direct ROI is you know one of the things that is, is lower on the priority list in terms of like real direct revenue back into your pocket. So the question is, yeah. why keep doing it? Why, why keep stressing about it? What are the benefits that you've seen from the events that you've ran that are the benefits that are the ones that you can't really like guarantee are going to happen, but they just do. So the first thing is you really have to align yourself, at least in my opinion, behind a mission if you're going to build a company. So our mission statement is we're trying to empower the world's transition towards remote work. So that means that we might build a product like Time Doctor, which is a time tracking tool for remote workers, Hmm. Or we might build a conference that helps bring everyone together under the same tent to communicate and discuss remote work. Maybe nice. I'll even have some of my direct competitors there. That's fine because that connects to that core mission. So that's the number one thing is whether we make money or lose money, obviously we try to make money every single year at this thing. By the way, running an event during COVID, not the best idea to make money, but we could probably get into that later. And I also publish our PL every single year as well after the conference is over. So we lost a grand total of 21 grand on about $450,000 worth of uh, turnover. So, you know, not great, but not bad either. But focus on the mission, align the rest of my own internal team members across all of our different companies to that mission by inviting them to the conference and having them to come and be exposed to that type of environment. And then also, too, when you do look at the long-term ROI, I did actually sit down and figure out, okay, well, out of my top 100 customers... How many of them did I meet from the conference? That first click attribution effectively. And there were four. And those four customers generate about $600,000 a year for me. So the ROI is actually really, really good. You know, if you, if you told me, yeah, lose 20 grand and make 600 grand a year, I mean, I'd do that all day long. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you consider all the other effects of the event, right? Because it's, it's not oh, just yeah. the revenue play. Like the core reason to do it has nothing to do with revenue, has everything to do with branding, credibility, yes. name recognition, authority in your space, connecting with all the top people, right? I mean, we're, we're, this is build your network. We talk a ton about how to build relationships in unique ways in 2022. So, like thinking past the business card cocktail mixers with the name tags and like the four insurance people that are trying to just get you to buy State Farm from them. Like, how do you network now, today, 2022, in a relevant way that allows you to connect with people that would otherwise be off the table to connect with? I use a podcast for a lot of those things. Our events also do a lot of those things for us. How have you found the event to affect your ability to level up the people that you spend time with? Well, I can tell you, I spoke to the co-founder of 1Password, the CIO of Zoom, the CEO of SaaS Academy, the CEO of Buffer, the CEO of GitLab. And man, that, those are the people that came just this year. Most of those people are multi-billion dollar companies, right? And they'll come to our conference because they share in that passion about remote work. Well, they won't go to other conferences that are just generally about you know SaaS or business or tech. 
And it creates this unique space for them because they recognize, I think they recognize that I'm genuine in my desire to be able to help in the mission that's at the core of everything that we do, which is helping to facilitate remote work. So it's, I mean, to be able to sit down with the CIO of Zoom, as an example, I sat down with that guy on three hours on Zoom, by the way, uh, obviously. And the type of advice that he gave me, and he's, he's, he's towards the end of his career, and the amount of advice that you can get from someone like that, I mean, I would have paid 40 grand an hour to yeah, be able to talk totally. to this guy. And so absolutely worth it from an ROI perspective. It also allows you to be the network node, right? So you're the central person that facilitates all of that communication amongst everyone else. So a lot of my job is I come in and I say, who do you want to talk to? Oh, you'd like to talk to Harry from Zoom. Okay, well, I'm going to put you at the dinner tomorrow, you know, next to Harry, as an example. And then people just love that. Again, you can't ask for anything back in return, but it's just trying to help facilitate those connections. And then by extension, you definitely work yourself into those other networks and you build more rapport with all of those individuals. There is so much value in being a connector of people. So much value, no matter how it's done. Like all relationships are based on a value exchange, some sort of a mutual value exchange, whether that's just pure entertainment, you enjoy being around this person, they make you laugh, or there's uh, you learn something when you're with them. There's, there's, there's value being exchanged. It's what all relationships are based on, right? They make you feel a certain way about yourself or look at the world a certain way. Like something about those people make like lights you up. And one of like, the best ways that I've found to be like a valuable person inside of multiple networks of people is to act as that bridge, that connector piece from this world to this world or from this person to this person. And there's no better connection than in-person connections, which being at an event helps provide to you if you can make those those things happen in person. So congrats on putting on the event, man. Sounds like a great time. Yeah. The, the other... Interesting addition as well is it's a fantastic launch vehicle for anything that you have that you want to launch. So I'm launching my book August 16th and our initial launch started at the conference. And I basically reached out to everybody in the introductory talk and I said, Hey, if anyone would be interested in, you know, buying some copies, let me know. And I'm up to 5,800 units sold right now. And probably about half of that came from the conference. Right. Yeah. So, you know, when you think about, and if anyone knows the kind of the book game, 5,000 units is Wall Street Journal, 10,000 units is national bestseller, and 15,000 units sometimes gets you on the New York Times bestsellers list. I'm very open about, you know, everything that we communicate at the conference, put out our PLs, all that kind of stuff. So I don't know if I'm going to hit the New York Times bestsellers list. That's a pretty far way off for 90 more days, but definitely I'll knock out the Wall Street Journal because of the partners that I had at this conference and effectively, you know, asking for something after giving them five years of content at the conference. So essentially what we're saying is uh, start an event. <laughs> uh, no, I, that really, really you know, what it is for me is like actually, a platform. Yeah, yeah. The, the initial capital that you require to be able to run an event is probably not... And I mean, yeah, I'm going to sound super bougie if I say this, but you need about a hundred grand to probably start an event. You need one employee, they need that employee to have about six months. Maybe you give them some equity inside of the conference, a big chunk of it, so they feel really connected to it. And then you just run your, your event. The first event that we had, uh, I set up the venue 
And six months later, we had 265 people that flew all the way out to Bali, Ubud, Bali in Indonesia. And it was a fantastic event. We filled up our room. The next year, we had 700-ish people again in Bali. And then COVID happened, obviously. But building that initial kind of group, that initial conference, cost us about 100 grand to be able to put up. And we did actually make money at that conference and the one afterwards as well. Yeah. Yeah, if you do it the right way, man, like I, I just they can be such a great, like powerful, powerful tool for everything that we were just talking about. It's not just revenue. It's not just network. It's like you you cop you combine everything that it does for you, and it's like yes, it's a good amount of work. Yes, it's a fair amount of stress. But if you pull yeah. off a good quality, like world class event, the stuff that it does for you far outweighs the risk that it takes to get it up and running. Another thing too is think about masterminds. So I had a very, who I don't think I can disclose his name, but he gave me a fantastic piece of advice with regards to conferences. He said, under 250 people, you just sell the tickets for a lot of money. You run like a mastermind-esque small event size conference. And over a thousand people, that's where companies like Google and LinkedIn and Zoom will pay you a hundred grand just to be, to be there, just as a brand impression. But your actual, like, your black hole is between 250 and 1,000 people. So you either have to be above 1,000 people or below 250 people. Hmm. And really, if I was going to think about running a conference today and restarting it from scratch, I would stick to under 250 people and I would just charge a lot of money for those tickets. And what I mean by a lot of money is more than $1,000, something that's in the four-figure range. Just so that people are really committed, they're actually going to show up, they're going to put their phones yeah. away, they're actually going to focus on the conference for the two days. And that's where you're probably going to get those initial fantastic connections. And then you can jump sure. to a thousand attendees if you really want, but you do to a degree lose some of that intimate connection. Oh, um, totally. Like running an event with a thousand people, I got to tell you, you're just running around <laughs> and you don't have time to actually talk to anybody because. There's just a thousand fires that are going off all at the same time, particularly during COVID when, you know, six of your 62 speakers end up testing positive for COVID about 48 hours before the event. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, it's painful. It's painful. I don't even yeah. want to go back there. But, you yeah, know, I, I, I totally agree with that, man. Yeah, the smaller events, it's like you can charge more because you have more control over like the quality that they get there. You, get, you have more control over the value that they walk away with if there's a smaller group of people. That are there, so so you can you can charge those higher prices. And we put that many people in a room that are willing to pay is that much too. They're probably the people that are more likely to become one of those customers that you were talking about at the beginning of this, right? The the people that yes. are, if they're paying two thousand, three thousand bucks a head to be there, they are likely somebody that has more money to spend with you and are interested in spending more money with you, given the opportunity. Depending on if you deliver the value in the initial thing that they purchased from you, which was the event, which like we said, you have more control over doing. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan, big fan of that. Um, even starting with 50 people, 100 people. If you put them in the room, just over-deliver on value like crazy. And uh, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work out well. well. One of the variables that you have to take into consideration as well is the value is the other attendees. And the more that you charge for a ticket, the better those attendees will be. It's a very counterintuitive perspective. However, if you charge, if I charge $5,000 for you know, for a ticket and I have 50 people show up versus a thousand dollars for 250 people. I personally would rather go to the 50 person event for me as an attendee than the 250 person event, because I know those other 50 people 
have, I've, it's a filter that I've been able to qualify those individuals by knowing that everyone paid $5,000 as an example to be able to attend the event. Uh, and I can, you can just communicate with those people in, in a different way. You know that probably all of them have at least a million dollar business as an example under the belt. Sure, sure. Exactly. Yep, yep. We're on the same page, probably. Yeah, the, the event space is a, is a really awesome space to be in, um, even though it, like you said, it, it's stressful. It, it's all of the things, right? But that's that's the thing about anything worth working for is that it's going to be difficult to get to the point where you're benefiting from it a lot, and that's true in every business, SaaS right. events, whatever it is. It's like if you want the benefits of something amazing, then you're going to have to go through the the shit part of it too to make it to the other side. Where, where you can enjoy those benefits. So, Absolutely. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters. Is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. But I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, about remote remote work. Obviously, this is kind of like your wheelhouse. Uh, this is sure. where you shine. So Talk to me a little bit about how you, how you, how you got into the space. Like, tell me about the experience that pushed you in the direction of really pushing the remote work. So it starts back actually at grad school. I was doing my master's degree, or I was doing my PhD actually, and I was teaching my very first class. And for those of you that don't know, first and second year graduate students are usually teaching the vast majority of your first and second year classes in university and ended up starting brand this class of 300 students came back with less than 200 and got the worst academic reviews in the history of the department and the department <laughs> had been up and running for 136 years so that was very bad i remember walking into my supervisor's office and i said i don't think i'm very good at this and he said no you are not <laughs> and then i said okay so what do you think i should do and he said you got to get pretty good at this teaching thing over the next 10 to 20 years before you get to do anything fun so 
Six weeks later, I threw a master's thesis under his door and I was out into the real world. And I started my first business there, which was an online tutoring company. And I recognized that I could actually tutor kids through Skype and I could get twice as many sessions done than if I was actually just traveling from student to student. And scaled that to uh, a pretty big company. I had dozens of tutors throughout North America and Europe, but I ended up with another big source of stress, which was I actually, so actually ended up cracking one of my teeth and, you know, my, my teeth, my, my tooth was like really reactive to hot and cold. So I remember going to the dentist, sitting down in the chair and he's got like the big light that he shines in your eyes and all that kind of stuff. And I open up my mouth and the dentist gasped. And it's never a good idea when a health professional gasps when they're looking at you. And he said, Liam, what tooth are you talking about? You've cracked almost all of your teeth here. You've chipped almost all your teeth. He thought I had pancreatic cancer because we had had an x-ray from a year before where my teeth were perfect. And it was from me grinding the teeth at night from the wow. stress of running this business. So he said, figure out what to do to be able to make this business work or sell it or get out of it because you need to figure out a solution to this problem. And that's really where I started to really kind of growth hack remote work to a point in which I'm now, you know, I'm someone who can hang out in Lisbon for a couple of weeks. And I told the team, Hey, I'm gone. Uh, everything's running pretty smoothly. I get my weekly report from all of my VPs. And, you know, life is, is very relaxed. Um, the platform is really the manager, not necessarily individuals. And that was the actual key component that I looked at when I decided to write this book over the last year and a half, which was also a big advantage of remote work because I was able to basically, going back to that thesis, empowering the world's transition towards remote work, I said, guys, I got to go read this, uh, write this book over the next year and a half because this is the book that I need to give to everyone in March of 2020. When I was having phone calls from governments, <laughs> from G20 governments that would call me and say, we have 540,000 employees and we've made them remote yesterday. Can you tell us what to do next? I can't tell you what to do next. I have 150 people. They said, you're the first guy that's picked up the phone. So the world completely changed at that point. Pre-pandemic in February of 2020, 4% of the U.S. workforce was working remotely. By March, 45% of the U.S. workforce was working remotely. That's the biggest transition in work since the Industrial Revolution. But that took 80 years, and we did that in March. So there's been all of these huge impacts. And the big issue is that no one's actually recognized you should actually manage people differently when they work remotely. I don't know if you would listen to what uh, Elon had just said man, a couple days ago where he was like, everyone needs to get back to the office and stop pretending to work. And yeah. I totally understand his problem. I totally understand where he's coming from. He's dealing with the source code of a 20th century managerial process and focusing in on appearance equals hard work, when in reality, actually, those two concepts need to be completely disconnected and there sure. needs to be another way to be able to measure success. So I don't blame him for that, but I think he really needs to read my book <laughs> to be able to figure out how to actually execute on this and really become a lot more successful, not just as a remote company, but as a company in general. Do you think that this is something that varies across industries or do you think every industry should be able to work at least like a percentage of their workforce remote? I think we're sitting right now at about 33% of the U.S. workforce working remotely. 
and less than 10% of that workforce is working from home due to COVID. So 90% of that workforce is basically premeditated remote work. They're working there voluntarily remotely. So we're looking at probably about 30% of the U.S. workforce working remotely moving forward. And the other scary statistic or exciting statistic for someone like me is we were expected before COVID to be 50% remote by 2030. We just hit that number back in basically in March of 2020. So we just accelerated that process. But this is an inevitability. And if you don't understand how to at least manage that process, you're effectively cutting yourself off to 30% of the labor pool. And not only that, you're also cutting yourself off to 30% of the international labor pool that's everywhere on planet Earth. And these companies that have actually figured out how to work remotely and manage remotely have completely changed the way that they hire and their HR processes because they can now hire anywhere on planet Earth. What do you think about company culture when it comes to virtual work? It's just obviously so much less controllable when you have a bunch of employees all over the place. It's more difficult to know what's happening, when it's happening. And then the big thing is like when, you, when you're putting together a company, obviously, like you know, you, you want the people that work there to be fired up about working there, not just like, mm-hmm. oh, let me like get my work done really quick so that I can get back to like whatever, playing video games with my friends or going out with my family or, you know, fill in the blank of whatever other distractions exist at your home life versus at being in an office or something like that. What are your thoughts on on driving company culture while working fully remotely? So remote company culture, and this is a big, strong signal that I got. So I interviewed almost $20 billion remote first founders for this book. So these are all the most successful people in their field. And a strong signal that I got back from almost all of them is remote work culture is not about the actual people. It's about the work. So it's not pizza Thursdays. It's not that you get a cake on your birthday. No one effing cares about that. I didn't know if we were supposed to, or we're allowed to swear on your podcast. No one cares about that. All right. What they care about is, am I actually putting a dent in the universe? Am I doing something that I think is important? Would I do this job at three o'clock in the morning or would I do this job for free? If the answer is yes to at least 20% of their workday, they're going to be so much more committed towards the mission of the company. They, they're bought in. You know, I, I talk about people need like cult-like commitment towards the company. And if you can ingrain that inside of everyone that's in your organization, you're going to have a much more effective workforce. The issue is that we're looking at culture like it's the people. And it's not actually the people, it's the work. So people, I think, have that reversed. So focus on actually your vision. Focus on what you planning, what you are, what are you planning to do as a company? How are you going to change the world in a positive way? Break that down into years, quarters, months, weeks, and days, and then give everyone that particular job and get them to execute on it. And if you detect that someone is not excited about that particular vision, get them out of your company as quickly as humanly possible. It doesn't matter how good they are at their job, by the way. I had a guy that I was doing an interview with him and we were interviewing him for our VP of sales. Amazing resume. Like this guy, just dream candidate. And we go in for, I'm in for the second meeting with him. And he said, well, I don't know if I really believe in remote work. I said, oh, well, you know, why? 
oh, well, you know, I think I could totally sell this product, but here's why I don't believe in remote work. Da, 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 da. And I said, thank you for telling me this is great. You're not the right fit for us. You know, I'll find you another job somewhere else. Yeah. That's exactly what you need to do. You need to be really focused on that vision. Um, I'll give you an example, Shopify as an example, which is a completely remote first company. They have no more offices. They got rid of them all. They do a vision fit and a culture fit before they even look at someone's resume. Mm. So they literally, they don't care how well qualified you are. You could be the best qualified person on the face of the planet. You say, do you meet our culture? Do you align with our vision? Are you excited about it? Mm. If you're not, don't work here. We yeah. don't even want to look at your resume. And that's how these remote first companies operate because they recognize that the actual vision, the work being done is what you really need to focus on. Interesting. Yeah, I like that perspective a lot. It's the work, the mission, vision, core values are the things that need to be aligned more heavily with that rather than, like you said, cake on your birthday or pizza on Thursdays or whatever it might be. What about facilitating connections? Obviously, this is a Bojo Network podcast. I talk about a, lot of, a lot about relationships and stuff. And you know, it's, it's an interesting um, shift in the workforce when you, know, you rewind the clock 20 years and it's like your coworkers become like really good friends because, and, and even like the duration like, through which you work with people has changed significantly in the last 20, 30 years, obviously. Like before, it was like you get the job and you stay at the job for like 30 years. Like your coworkers become your best friends because you're with them for yeah. 40 hours a week for the like majority of your adult life. But now like job cycles are a little bit faster. People are switching companies more often. Uh, so there's that factor to consider as well. But then also it's like, it, this is one of the core ways that adults generate new friendships. Is there anything that you guys recommend for people to connect with each other a little bit more uh, if they're in a remote workforce? Or have you seen that not really uh, be an indicator of, of success when it comes to working remotely? So there is a famous McKinsey study on this actually, which is if your best friend goes to work with you, is at the same job in the same company as you, you have half the rate or you have double the rate of retention. So basically you're twice as sticky than if your best friend is not in the same company as you. So that's an interesting kind of factoid. But the way that we do it and we build those intimate connections with each other is the first thing is we remove the vast majority of kind of the managerial tasks that people need to do in their day-to-day -day lives. So we talk a lot about how the platform is the manager. And we don't have managers in the company. We only have leaders. So what's the major job of a manager? It's to measure what the direct reports are doing and report that information to the next level up, right? Inside of our organizations and most other remote-first organizations, that's all actually like public knowledge. So everyone's metrics are digital. They're all reported automatically. So if you actually manually have to report them, we try to work as, as hard as we possibly can to make that reporting automated. And then everyone gets to share it. So it's a really easy process so that everyone has that information. And then the managers can actually focus on more leadership and building those intimate connections with each other. And one of the ways that we do that is we do things like uh, we have Friday Oculus Rift days. So everyone has Oculus Quest headsets. We all put them on. We can, you can play games together. You can play, we don't do anything that's like quote unquote HR approved. So you can play the most bloody zombie video games that you want to, as long as everyone opts in and is cool with it. Sure. Or you can play Cards Against Humanity, but not the HR approved version. By the way, there is an HR approved version of Cards Against Humanity. 
It's horrible. That's Don't called apples to apples. Uh, <laughs> I, just, I just, I could think to myself, these guys that are just, you know, the stereotypical remote company post pandemic is like, all right, guys, it's Friday at 5 p.m. Everyone's got to report to the Zoom. Let's Your do charades. Get next to you, and we're going to play. You know, we're going to play Cards Against Humanity, but the HR approved version, not the fun one. You know, I, like people don't like that. If you anonymously survey everyone inside of those organizations, saying, "Would you like more of this?" Ninety five percent of them will say, "No, I would like less of it." So you have to yeah. meet them where they are. Build, let them build the culture the way that they actually want to be able to build it. So outside of Oculus Rift stuff. We do in-person team retreats every single year. So we spend a week coming together. It's kind of like a conference about the company. And that's very exciting for everybody. And then more importantly than that, in the vast majority of one-on-ones, we don't talk about metrics uh, because metrics are automatically reported. We talk about issues and we talk about as deep and as personal of these issues as as we can force ourselves to. Yeah. to be able to make sure that we're focusing on actually building trust and intimacy within our organization and not necessarily just looking at the numbers because everyone sees the numbers and everyone knows whether or not you're doing a good job or a bad job. Yeah, it's changing managers into coaches to That's get the exactly most out of your people. Yeah. I love that, actually. I should have stolen that for the book. <laughs> there you go, bro. Just just a quick credit and it's yours. Right. <laughs> now, buddy, Sorry, I was like... Yeah, a buddy of mine was like, uh, he was like, if I hear someone say something, I give them credit for the first three times. After that, it's mine. I was like, <laughs> all right, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, man. Um, uh, last question for you, bro. I'll let you go. I- I'm curious about your meeting cadence. How many Zoom calls is too many Zoom calls? Like, what you know, how with working remotely, I feel like a lot of people like like Zoom calls to me are the new busy work. Right, like, yeah. like your calendar's full of them. You get the end of the day, and you're like, "Man, that was a long day." But then you look at actually what got accomplished, and it was like, "Oh, I didn't actually do anything except for jump on calls all day." And if that's literally yes. not your core job is to be on calls or be a coach or whatever else, then like it's essentially a waste of a day. So, how mm-hmm. many meetings are too many meetings? How many meetings are not many? Me- are not enough meetings to keep that culture alive? To make sure people know what they're doing, what their KPIs are, keep them accountable to getting the job done. So generally inside of remote companies, there's a philosophy that almost all of them also have in common, which I'm calling asynchronous management, which is the ability to be able to manage people without directly interacting with them. So I personally spend out of my 40-ish hour work week, about three hours of sync time per week. So that goes into a 90-minute executive one-on-one. And then that goes into 30 minute, or sorry, executive L10, which is basically all of our different VPs that meet in one place and we do a 90 minute meeting. Sometimes we don't do it if there's less than three issues for a meeting. We don't actually do that meeting, uh, which is, by the way, something that you should just trigger as an if then statement. Like if less than three issues in your Asana issues list, then cancel your Zoom meeting and push it to Google Calendar. Like we do that and it's just like, Everyone, to a degree, actually, people will try to get rid of all of those issues before the meeting starts just so that we don't have to do it uh, because they actually want to get back to deep work, which is really the focus of asynchronous management. And I think what you spoke to is the ability for people to have everything at their disposal to be able to solve hard problems is what my friend Cal Newport calls deep work. Totally. If you can optimize your workforce towards deep work, 
not just on the individual side, but the organizational side, that you get more done, you move faster as an organization, and you become a Coinbase, you become a Shopify, you become a GitLab, you become a behemoth of a company because everyone knows what they need to do inside of the autonomous structure, which is a remote first organization, and they're passionate about doing it. So if you could just optimize your workforce towards that direction, I personally would say, basically when you're turning remote work into living at work, it's just a horrible, horrible environment. These Zoom calls pull the energy out of everybody. And if you can just get rid of them, people will thank you for it. So you have the 90-minute Zoom call and you said you have another 90 minutes of meetings. So like, what's, what's the breakdown on those? Yeah, so it's a 30-minute one-on-one which with each VP. VP of marketing, VP of sales, and VP of growth, uh, which are my three direct reports. And that's it. And then everything else is kind of just humming. A lot of the reporting that I get is through Google Sheets and through dashboards. It's not actually through people communicating that information directly to me. And the way that I manage that process is also asynchronous. So I comment, I communicate, I say, hey, we're not on target here. What do we need to be able to make a pivot mid-quarter, as an example? Uh, And that information is because it's all documented and it's all written down. You can go back, like I could throw you into my business and I could say, Travis, why did we make this feature decision three years ago? And you'd probably go back three years plus six months and you would start to you know, do some searches inside of our internal process documentation and our project management systems. And you'd be able to figure out the debates that are in there because it's all documented, it's all written down. And then you can come to the conclusion that oh, well, you pushed that feature because Susan said that it's... We don't have a Susan in the company. I made sure because uh, I always use Susan as an example. <laughs> Susan made that decision. And then we'd all look at ourselves and say, oh, but we fired Susan. Susan's an idiot. Well, maybe we shouldn't build this feature or maybe we should get rid of it. You know, Those are the types yeah. of things that just allow you and it gives you such a great depth of, of history inside yeah. of your organization where you can make really interesting tactical decisions and you can bring up information from 10 years ago right into the present time and really discuss it and break down what were your wins and what were your fails and how to become better in the future. Love it, dude. This has been such a good conversation. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, The book is coming out here shortly, first, second week of August. August 16th. August 16th. 16th. And it's called Running Remote. Is there a place online that you want people to go pick it up or anywhere you buy books is fine? So even though my publisher is going to say, go to Barnes and Noble and all these other types of places, Amazon is the best place to get it. An even better spot actually is to go to runningremote.com slash book. And there I actually have all of our process documents. So everything that we have to be able to run our businesses, I'm giving it away for free. You literally just sign up for the email list. You get all of that information. And if you don't have that at this point, you can literally steal our playbooks, edit them a little bit, and at least you're much further down the line than if you're starting from zero. Love it. That's what I was hoping for right there. I love I love me some bonuses on books, bro. So yeah, runningremote.com slash book, correct? Correct. Runningremote.com slash book. Guys, if you are running a remote team, part of a remote team, or wanting to make a transition, you have to go pick up a copy of this book. It is a requirement. It is your fee for listening to the show. Runningremote.com slash book. Go pick it up and get all those bonuses as well. Uh, Liam, thanks so much for taking the time, man. This is a lot of fun. Maybe I'll see you at one of your events coming up. Yeah, thanks a lot, Travis. It was uh, a ton of fun. And I'm if I can leave people with one big thing here, it's just 
And again, you don't have to pick up the book. You don't have to go to the conference. You don't have to do anything. Like just recognize that remote work is not a nice to have anymore. It's a need to have. You've got to adapt to this if you're going to succeed. Awesome stuff, man. I appreciate you coming on, Liam. We'll uh, get this out to everybody. And I know you said you don't have to buy the book, but uh, that's my job. And I'm telling everybody they have to buy the book. So, uh, but thanks a lot. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming on, dude. This, this, is, this is really cool. Hey, hey, thanks for listening to this episode. That's it for today. As you all know, this show is completely free. Our only ask is that if you found anything valuable in this episode or in any of the episodes that you've listened to, then share it with somebody else and leave us a quick rating review in whatever platform you're listening to right now. It would be super, super helpful for us. Uh, so that's it for today, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Catch you next time. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.